Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a piece of the process. It's a piece of the process. If you have a Bible, go to John 13, verse 7. Yeah, we get loud about the word. And there's this moment in John chapter 13 where Jesus is doing something that doesn't make sense to any of his disciples. And Peter is the only one who's got the guts to speak up. And he says, stop, stop, stop. Stop doing what you're doing. This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. This is frustrating. This is uncomfortable. And Jesus replies to Peter these words in verse 7. He says, you do not realize right now what I am doing, but later on you will understand. And this last week I read those words. You do not understand right now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And the more that I read it, the more it just jumped off the pages at me. But so often we don't understand certain pieces that happen in our life, certain puzzle pieces that don't make sense in the puzzle of life. And we go through things that feel painful, uncomfortable, even frustrating. And you might feel like Peter, you know, saying to God, stop, stop, stop. This is not fun. This is uncomfortable. This is painful. This is frustrating. And Jesus responded to Peter. And I believe he's responding to you today. You don't understand right now. But later on, you will. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, God, on embracing the process of what you do in our lives and how you do it, God. That even when life doesn't make sense and even though there's things that are painful and there's troubles in this world, I thank you, God, that you've overcome the world. And I thank you that you work all things together for good. And I thank you that you can use the things you didn't send. You can use the things that the enemy meant for harm to turn it for good in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So this last week, Ashley and I, we got away. Um, we took some time away without the kids and went and stayed at a friend's house in California. And, and it was kind of our last hoorah before baby number five gets here. And so we were, uh, we were hanging out there and Ashley was reading a book on the beach and I said, I'm gonna go jump in the ocean, you know? And I was feeling excited about it. And uh, by the way, the Pacific Ocean is so intense and so powerful. If you've never been, like, you need to, like, brace yourself and go in with humility because it is bigger and stronger than you. But I went in there. I was feeling excited. And within, like, the first minute, these waves were taking me down. And, and they were powerful and forceful. And it was a yellow flag on the, on the beach, uh, which means that, you know, it's a, it's a rough day out in the water. And so I, I'm... I'm swimming and within minutes I'm being pulled out to sea. There's an undercurrent and it's strong and it's ripping me out and I'm looking at the beach and Ashley is lost in her book. And so I'm, I'm trying to survive and Ashley's enjoying a book and I'm out there in the water and, uh, and, and, and I start swimming back to the shore to try to get back to the sand and, and right as I get to a place where I can stand up kind of, right? Like I can sort of stand up. I'm struggling. I feel like I got 100 pound weights on both legs just moving through the water to get to the shore. And I'm standing in knee deep water at this point. All of a sudden I turn around and y'all, there was a wave that was like twice the size of me. I'm six foot tall. This wave had to be like 12 to 15 feet high. It was massive. And we were in an area where all the surfers went. And there was no one swimming in this area. And I thought about that later on. I was like, what was I thinking? And so I turn around and I see this massive wave and I think, okay, I'm going to try to dive under it, <laughs> you know, because I've, like, I've swam in the Arkansas River. I'm from Oklahoma. So I'm just imagining like 
If you can handle the Arkansas River, you can handle the Pacific Ocean. And y'all, this wave just went and just slammed me into the ground. And I had a concussion. And I was unconscious in the ocean. And, and it uh, swept me up and then flipped me upside down multiple times. And, and I woke up on the beach and, and like throwing up. And thankfully, it had pushed me up on the sand. The wave had basically flipped me upside down multiple times and pushed me on the sand. And, and I'm throwing up, and I have vertigo. So everything's spinning upside down all around. Anyone ever had vertigo before? It feels like, it, like I've never had drugs, but I feel like you're tripping on some sort of drugs. And the, everything's spinning fast, and you're dizzy, and it's upside down, and, and I can't hear. And so Ashley comes running up, and I hear a noise. Like she's saying something, but I don't know what she's saying. And so um, she says, we got you know, to get you to like, urgent care. So later that day, we went to urgent care. And they said, you had a concussion. You ruptured your eardrum, so you can't hear right now in, in, in this ear. Um, but it's going to self-heal. It's just going to be a process. Everybody say, it's going to be a process. So I still, for the last five or six days, have not been able to hear out of this left ear. But I am preaching by faith that my healing and my testimony is coming and I'm, this ear, my hearing's gonna be restored. Um, and I see you doing this, but I don't fully hear it. So this is a great weekend. Like if you're gonna shout something at me, I won't really hear what you're shouting. <laughs> and I told Ashley, I was like, I really can't hear what the church is, if they're responding or not. She's like, that's good. It's reminding you um, to keep preaching regardless of the response of anyone else out there. And sometimes you go through things, you don't understand why you go through them. And they're not sent by God, but God uses them to develop who he's called you to be. And I was sitting there in the doctor's office, and I said, you know, why did this happen? And she said, I don't know. I mean, this, like, the ocean chose you. The ocean must have been mad at you and, and chose to slam you. I was like, why is the ocean mad at me? And, and, you know, I was like, when's the last time you, you treated someone who, you know, had a concussion in the ocean and an ear puncture? She was like, it's been a long time. She's like, you must not be from here. I was like, no, I'm from Oklahoma raised by the Arkansas River, you know, and she, she's like, she's like, yeah, I mean, life is unfair. And I think, you know, sometimes the way that I felt in that ocean, sometimes life is like that. Life just slams on you and you can't control it. Jesus said, this is going to happen. There's going to be painful things that happen in life, things you cannot control. If Jesus walked through the rejection of people, if Jesus had a Judas, if Jesus faced persecution, you're gonna go through things that are frustrating, that are painful. You're gonna walk through things that don't make sense. And sometimes you might feel like you're slammed by the ocean and you're waking up with a, a vertigo, a spiritual vertigo where things are upside down and it's dizzy and you're, you're trying to sort through the pieces of what's, what's true and what's not true. And, and, and I, was, I was thinking about it this last week that we go through things that we don't understand, but God uses those things for a greater purpose in our lives. I remember putting this puzzle together with Liam and I like puzzles. Like I really like like 100 piece puzzles, not the 500 piece puzzles. But I like, I like a good 100-piece challenging puzzle, you know, <laughs> with massive pieces that make sense. And there was this one puzzle we were putting together, and he looks at this piece, and he goes, this piece is weird. And I said, you're right. This is a weird piece. He goes, I don't think it fits in the puzzle. This is too, like, this is not going to fit. This does not look like it fits anywhere. I said, well, let's put it to the side. And as we began to put the puzzle together, later on, as the puzzle was starting to make more sense, we realized that weird piece actually played a big part in the puzzle. And sometimes life is like that. There's weird pieces, and you go, why did I have to go through this rejection? 
Why was I single longer than all my other friends? Why didn't we have kids when everyone else had kids? Why did I go through that divorce? Why did I walk through that abuse? Why did I get let go? Why did others get the promotion and I didn't get it? Why was I waiting for so long? And why were there closed doors in my life when there were supposed to be open doors? This piece feels weird. And God says, I'm going to use that weird piece as a part of your testimony. And you don't understand right now, Peter, but later on, it will all make sense. Someday we'll know. There was a moment in Paul's life where he got saved, Paul the apostle, and before anyone else really believed in him. In fact, Paul, Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, he said, no one fully believed that I was saved at first. They all questioned the validity of whether I was actually saved or if I was living a double life or if I was a con man. There were people who really didn't trust me because I was a bad guy before I got saved. And so before I went to Jerusalem and met with all the pastors and leaders and, and found affirmation from anyone, Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 17, I went into the desert of Arabia. And for three years, I was in Arabia all by myself. It was, a, it was a piece of Paul's testimony that very few people really understand. When Paul got saved, he didn't immediately go into this full-time speaking ministry where he was loved by every church and people wanted to hear from him. He went through an ostracizing season, a season where people, people criticized him, people rejected him. People said, you can't come to our church. We don't trust you. We don't trust what you're doing. And Paul said, while I was in Arabia, it was during this time, God was cultivating and growing me. It was a piece of the process towards my destiny. You see, every single one of you in this room have a destiny. Every single one of you in this room have a purpose, but your purpose has a process. And that process is full of tests and trials and seasons that don't make sense, pieces that feel weird at times. And you're going, how is this going to play? Abraham went through this. Moses went through this. Joseph went through this. John the Baptist went through this. Paul the apostle. Peter went through this. David, he was anointed before he was appointed. He was told one day you're going to be the king of Israel. But then 13 years go by. And there's some weird years in there. In fact, there's one moment where David actually checks himself into an asylum. He calls himself an insane man, and he acts crazy for three months. He loses his mind, and yet this guy's going to be the future king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. God uses even depressed maniacs to do great things for the kingdom of God. God can use you. God can use your daughter. God can use the part of your testimony you don't want anyone to find out about. God will use the weird parts of, of what you've walked through in your marriage. He'll use the weird pieces where you go, I don't think this is supposed to be a part of our, our story. And God says, I can use that. He can use things that he didn't send. He knows how to use the things that life does to you and, and people do to you that are painful and hurtful. And most people want to skip over the Arabia season. Most people want to skip past the wilderness. But how you handle the wilderness determines whether or not you make it into the promised land. Really, it determines whether or not you stay in the promised land. Because there's a lot of people who get promoted fast, they get into the promised land, but they skip the process, and so they don't last long in the promotion. What if God is patiently preparing you in this process so that you can last a whole lot longer in your promoted season? He prepares us in the private places, in the quiet places, in the Arabian nights. He begins to work in us, and he says, Peter, it doesn't make sense to you now, but someday it will all make sense sense. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The weight of glory is a heavy 
weight. And you don't get to carry a heavy weight until you learn how to use the light weights. You start in stages. You, you grow in stages. Weightlifters understand you don't just walk into a weight room and immediately start doing your goal weights. You got to get there through stages. It's a piece of the process. Every single day matters. And how you handle the off-season matters. It's all preparing you for a greater glory. Paul said in Romans 8, verse 8, 10, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. When Ashley and I first got pregnant with baby number one, I remember going to the doctor with her, and the doctor said, you're in your first trimester. I said, man, I feel like I'm in my first trimester. She rolls her eyes. She's like, you're going to start gaining weight. I said, it's already happened. Like, I don't know what to do about it. She said, it's a piece of the process. I was like, okay, what else? And she said, you're going you're gonna to start throwing up every now and then. And your feet are going to swell. I'm like, oh, man. She's like, not you, Ashley. You know, and... But I was trying to help Ashley carry that baby, so I gained just as much weight with her. That, that first, I'm still trying to lose baby weight number one. But here we are, baby number five. And, and there's a piece of the process through pregnancy, pregnant women understand this, that there's painful, uncomfortable moments when you're carrying something in you that's meant to come out. And there's a due date on that pregnancy. There's a due date on your destiny. There's a due date on your dreams and your prayers. Your prayers do have a due date. Your dreams and your gifts and your talents, they have a due date. But you've got to learn how to carry that pregnancy well. Imagine if Ashley and I came to the doctor in her third trimester, and we said, something feels so wrong. And the doctor says, what? Well, look at her belly. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And her ankles are starting to swell. And it's hard for her to do the things that she was doing before. Eight months ago, the doctor would laugh, and, and the doctor would say, well, that's part of the process. She's getting ready to have that baby. She's getting closer and closer to her due date. And the process that we walk through requires us to embrace the uncomfortable moments that don't make a whole lot of sense. But I want to tell you today, you are pregnant with potential. You are pregnant with a purpose. You are pregnant with a calling on your life. And God has great things in store for you. He says, if you pass this test, if you can choose during this season not to run from pain, but to lean into it, I was, this last week, while we were out of town, I was talking to these um, Christians that I met that were right there by the ocean, and, and I said, where are y'all from? They said, we're from Egypt. I said, Egypt, that's amazing. They said, we're Coptic Christians. I said, tell me about the Coptic Christian faith, and they said, well, it's, it goes way back. It's very old, and um, they said, it's a huge honor, but there's a lot of persecution in our country, and they said, our families had to flee Egypt because we were being threatened. Our church was burned to the ground. And the Muslims hate us there in Egypt. And every single day we have friends and family members that are calling us, asking us to pray for them because there's intense persecution. There's a lot of pain. But we counted a huge honor to follow Jesus. And when I was listening to them talk about the persecution and the pain, I was thinking, I don't know if the American church realizes what persecution fully looks like. And we don't always want to talk about it. We always kind of want to keep things happy and healthy and well and, you know, at the corner of Walgreens and CVS and everything's sweet and peaceful and, and, and your Wi-Fi's working and when it's not, you feel persecuted and you're like, ah, first world problems. I got to wait in the airport for an extra hour and I got to wait for my Wi-Fi to get fixed and my, my phone's not taking enough pictures. I need more iCloud storage and I'm persecuted. You're not persecuted. The church in Egypt is walking through intense persecution. 
We have friends in Israel. We have friends across the Middle East that are walking through intense persecution for their faith. And when you go through things that are painful and things that are frustrating and things that don't make sense, it may not be persecution, but it might be a trial. It might be a test. And you might want to run from it. You might want to hide from it. You might want to tune into only positivity. But God says, I'm going to use that trial and that test to purify your faith so that when you come through this trial, when you come on the other side of this painful test you've been walking through, your faith is going to be more genuine than it ever was before. And you're going to be more ready and more humble and more vulnerable and more broken to be used by God than you ever were in your prideful state. God's waking the American church up. And he's saying there's a piece of what you're walking through that's going to make sense down the road, but it may not make sense right now. There's a piece to this puzzle that you're going, this feels weird. 2021 feels weird. I don't know how this fits into the puzzle. And God says, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it, church. I'm going to use it, son. You see, God knows what's in your future, and he knows what it's going to take to keep you there. So he's going to use the things that don't make sense for your good, to strengthen you, to prepare you for it, to birth something inside you that can only come through pain. You can only get there through a place of trouble and pain. And when you walk through those tests and you don't get bitter, instead you get better. You don't become angry at God, instead you get closer to God. You don't walk away from the church, you run into the church. You don't walk away from the faith, you cling even tighter to your faith because you understand that through these trials and these tests and these storms and these difficulties, and these testimonies that are still being written, that's where your faith is growing the strongest. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, he makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words, he has a set time for things to happen in your life. He puts eternity in the hearts of all men, yet none can fathom what God is doing from beginning to end. I don't always understand what he's doing, but I know he's doing something good. Romans 8 verse 28, Paul he would later on write these words. He'd say, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Everybody say, all things. All things. In other words, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But the emphasis is not on all things. The emphasis is on those who have been called according to his purpose. I know he's going to work all things for good. And the reason I know is because I've been called. And because I've been called... By his purpose, I can trust that everything I walk through is a part of my call. Everything I go through, every heartache, every heartbreak. I remember in college, there was this girl I liked, and, and I asked her out multiple times, and she kept saying no. And, and then she would say, ask me out again. And then she would say no. And I was like, Delilah, get thee behind me. You know, she was playing games with me. And, 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 and I remember just feeling frustrated and angry and, and heartbroken and and there was this one time after several months of trying to ask her out, she kept saying, no, 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 no. And finally, she just said, we're not going to ever go out. And I felt so heartbroken. I remember running across the street from ORU to the, the campus of Victory. And this building wasn't finished yet. And I ran into this space where we were constructing this building. It was open. You could see the sky. And there was concrete laid out here. And they were just preparing the first phase of this Victory Sanctuary that you sit in today. But I remember that the beginning of that process, here I was, I was heartbroken, I was in college, I didn't understand why I was going through this, and I felt like the Lord was speaking to me in that moment of heartbreak, and God was saying, this is going to work out for your good. You see, we've got to learn to trust God with the clear.
closed doors as much as we get excited about the open doors. When it says he's working all things for your good, it means he's working out even the things that didn't work out. The marriages that ended in divorce. The painful things where you go, why didn't he get healed of cancer? Why did she have to go through chemo treatment? Why did I lose my hair? Why did we lose our son? Why did we go through that miscarriage? And you start asking all these questions. I asked the doctor in the office. I said, why, why, why did I get, why did the ocean choose me? And, you know, and sometimes we ask that in life. Why did this happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? And God says, I didn't send it, but I'm going to use it. God didn't send the cancer, but he's going to use what the enemy meant for harm for your good. And, and what I've found even in the last few days is God's been stirring in me a greater love for his word, a greater thankfulness for the parts of my life that are healthy and whole. And, and you don't realize how good something is until it's missing. You don't realize how great you have it until it's taken from you for a little bit. And God's been reminding me just the joy of my salvation and the celebration of what is going well in my life and that God is going to bring a testimony through this painful process that I'm going through. That he didn't send it, but he's going to use it. Just say that with me. He didn't send it, but he's going to use it. I want to give you four things that God does in the process in your life, four pieces of the process. Number one, he prepares our identity in the process. God was teaching Paul the apostle who he was apart from what everyone else said about him. God was teaching Paul the apostle in Arabia, in the wilderness, in the quiet place, in the ostracizing place, in the place where no one truly believed in him. God was saying, you don't need their validation. You don't need their validation. Go ahead and just turn a, turn a deaf ear to all of that because the only person you need to hear validation from is your father in heaven. God will lead you through seasons where you realize he's the only opinion that really matters. And when you have a firm identity in that process, you can step into uh, promotions, you can step into opportunities. When you get married, you realize your spouse is not the one who completes you. Your spouse is not the one who affirms your identity because you already have a firm identity in Christ. He prepares your identity in the wilderness. He prepares your identity. Before Jesus went into ministry, he went through a wilderness where he began to speak with authority towards the enemy who was trying to tempt him to find his identity through fame, through what, what the world could offer. And Jesus knew who he was. He had already been stamped by his father's approval. Abraham spent time living in the wilderness before he came to Canaan. Joseph spent time discovering his identity in the dungeon before he got to the palace. Moses was in the desert before he went back to Egypt. David was in the caves before he became the king. And Paul was in Arabia before he started his ministry travel. God cares more about who you're becoming than how fast you can get to your promotion, how fast your prayers get answered, how, how soon you get married, how soon you can have children, how soon things can turn around for you, how fast your ear gets healed. Because what if the healing happens, but the healing that was supposed to happen inside you didn't? What if you get externally healed but you skip the internal healing process. God's more concerned with humbling you and healing the inside before he fixes everything that looks good on the surface level for the outside. So he leads you through these seasons. Peter would say in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises in how some people uh, understand slowness, but rather he is patient because he desires all people to fulfill the purpose that he has for their lives. Peter was saying, God's not slow, he's patient, he's patient, and he's patiently preparing who he's called you to be. Number two, God prepares our perseverance in the process. 
He teaches us how to push through when other people throw in the towel and quit. In Galatians 6, verse 9, Paul said, do not grow weary in well-doing, but at the right time, if you don't give up, you will reap a harvest. Don't get weary. Don't give up while you're pushing through. You see, I think that, that, that God is trying to um, create a stamina within the church. He's trying to build up men of God who are going to last and not run from responsibility, but persevere through the process. So God says, I'm going to lead you through some things that may not be easy, may be uncomfortable. Oh, no, I don't think that fits with my theology. See, I think our theology is weak and shallow when we leave no place for pain. But when you read the New Testament and you realize Jesus went through pain, Paul went through pain, Peter went through pain, John went through pain on the island of Patmos, they tried to burn him alive, they threw him in oil, they tried to boil his body, and we think God has no pain for Christianity. No, Christianity is a sign up to say, come hell or high water, I believe in Jesus and I belong to Jesus. So to live is Christ and to die is gain, and there will be trouble of many kind, but I would rather walk through trouble as a Christian than walk through trouble as a man who doesn't even know there's a God. I'd rather walk through the world of difficulty and pain and trials and tragedies knowing that God is with me, he's for me, and I have a reward in heaven if I don't give up. We need perseverance. Farmers know that harvest only comes from tedious work that oftentimes is forgotten by everyone else. So farmers are working long days, long nights. The word perseverance actually means steadfast in doing something despite the difficulty, despite the delays in achieving success, to persevere even while all your friends are seeing their breakthrough, even while everyone else is getting married, having kids, getting promoted, seeing their dreams come to pass. Perseverance says like Job, even though I walk through things that I don't understand, my Redeemer is still on the throne and I will still praise him and I will still stay in a place of faith committed. And what God does is he begins to build you and he begins to strengthen you and he begins to prepare you for what God has prepared for you. I heard an old preacher say, we're a microwave generation serving a crockpot God. We want it fast. I want things fast. I want to see things happen fast. But God says, this is going to be a slow process. I would have loved to have been able to preach to you this weekend with a fully healed ear. I genuinely can't hear what you're saying to me right now. Because even this year, even this ear that, that feels pretty good is, is for some reason rough because this ear is, is, is not working right now. It's getting healed. And, and my mom told me last night, she said, only speak faith. Don't say anything negative. Don't say, and I said, mom, faith can handle the facts. The facts are I am preaching through pain right now, but I am going to see a testimony. Things are going to turn around and I am not going to let this thing stop me. Too, too many people use excuses to not step up and fulfill their responsibilities. And I, I just, I wanna show a generation that even though you might be tired, even though you might feel weak, even though you might be bleeding, you can still get up and continue to do what God's called you to do. I grew up with a dad who said, put a Band-Aid on it and get back on the football field. Because he grew up with a dad who said that to him. And we've got, we've got to stop making excuses to throw in the towel on things that God's called us to do. We've got to stop taking every little out like it's, you know, God's hand and, oh, well, good, there's a pandemic. We can stop having church for 12 months. There's a pandemic 
the church better show up for the next 12 months and show the world that we have the answer that they're looking for. Just because you're going through something painful, it's not, it's not a reason to just bow out. It's, it's a reason to lean in and say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do for me? What do you want to do through me in this time? Healing happens when you continue to show up. See, I don't get healed when I, when I just stay in my depression, when I stay in that mental state of a pity party and poor old me and I'm having a bad day and I just need everybody to check in on me. And I, I, I get healed when I get up. I get healed when I start moving by faith. I get healed when I choose to refuse to let anything become an excuse for me to throw in the towel. And when I start moving forward by faith, trusting in God, taking those steps, pushing through the process, like Joseph did, he could have gotten angry at God. When he was in that dungeon, he was forgotten by people. He was accused by people of crimes he didn't commit, but he just kept on trusting. He kept on dreaming. He kept on interpreting dreams. He kept on believing. He kept on speaking. He kept on showing up. He kept on doing the right thing, keeping a good attitude. Even when other people got promoted at work and he got demoted. And as he kept a good attitude, God made sure to see through that Joseph went from the pit to the palace to become who he had called him to be. I want to go back to Peter. Peter had, had lived a great life and he walked on water. He's the only disciple who walked on water. Peter preached on Pentecost, and he ushered in the church and the movement of the church in the book of Acts. This is the same guy that questioned what Jesus was doing in John 13. This is the same guy who, who also cut a dude's ear off, right? Like Peter was a mighty man of God, but he was also a crazy man. And he was, he was popular, he was loved by people, and he was hated by people. Peter was one of those guys you just couldn't ignore. He, just, he was loud, and he was wild, and he was, he was rowdy. And, and Peter did amazing things. God used Peter in his lifetime. But I want to go to a later part in Peter's life. And it's in Acts chapter 12. I want the keys to come up in Acts chapter 12. And I won't know when the keys come up. So someone just send the keys up because my ear won't, won't fully hear it. But Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So here at this moment, Peter is in his mid-50s. He had followed Jesus, he had preached Pentecost, walked on water, he lived what most men couldn't live in their lifetime, he had lived it two or three times more. In 50 years, he had accomplished amazing things. Seen miracles, performed miracles, seen Jesus feed the thousands. He was one of the top three disciples that Jesus spent time with. Like Jesus had 12, but then Jesus had three. Like he had a big text thread, but then he had a small text thread within that text thread. You know what I'm talking about? He had like the core within the core. These were his top three friends, Peter, James, and John. And so Peter is now in this moment where he's been preaching for a while. He's been doing ministry. He's walked through some puzzle pieces that didn't make sense. He's walked through some failures. He's walked through some victories. And I want to check in on Peter's life here. It was Acts chapter 12. At this time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. These were Peter's friends. And he came to persecute them. He found Peter's friend James, the brother of John, and he put James to death with the sword. They cut James' head off. So imagine with me, Peter is, he's mourning the loss of his friend. Imagine if your best friend got his head cut off. That would be pretty painful. That would be pretty traumatizing. And this is where Peter's at. He's, he's trying to figure out why did this just happen? I thought we were doing the right thing. We were preaching. We were following Jesus. 
And now his friends are getting taken out one by one. His best friend, James, just got beheaded. And Peter's questioning all of this. And when he saw that this met with approval, King Herod, and that the Jews were happy about the death of James, isn't it crazy that religious people got excited about another man's fall? Isn't it crazy that religious people were happy to see another preacher taken down? Isn't it crazy when the church isn't there to lift people up, but they're kicking people while they're down? I'm so thankful we're a church that lifts people. We're a church that surrounds people. In this church, you could come in as a broken man, and we're not going to kick you while you're down. We're not going to spit on you when you go through a failure. When you mess up, we're going to lift you up. Here Peter is watching as religious people are excited to see his brother, James, beheaded. And I can only imagine Peter's hurt, anger, his frustration. Looking at the puzzle piece, going, this doesn't make sense. How does this fit into the big picture? How am I supposed to make sense of this? Why did they leave me? Why did they reject me? Why did I walk through this heartbreak? Why did we have to go to the cancer treatment center? Why did we lose our company? Why did we walk through this? And Peter's in this place. And, and so then King Herod arrest, arrested Peter. He seized Peter during the festival. And after arresting him, in verse 4, he put Peter in prison, handing them over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So there's 16 soldiers guarding Peter, surrounding him. The enemy always has his demonic strategy to try to take people down. Jesus even told Peter, Satan desires to take you out, Peter. Jesus told Peter back in, in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while Jesus was still alive, he said, Peter, Satan's put a target over your head. For, for, for Satan, you're his trophy prize. If he can take you down, he can take out a whole lot of people. He's coming for you, Peter. He desires to sift you as wheat. You always know the level of your calling by the level of attacks that you're walking through. Because the, the, the greater the attacks, that means the, the enemy sees you as a greater threat. He sees there's a great purpose on your life. If you're, if you're experiencing attacks of any kind, it's because you are anointed to do something great in your life, to do something great for your family, to do something great for your company, to do something great for your marriage, to do something great for your kids, to do something great for your future kids. The enemy sees the calling on your life, so he comes at you. And he uses the things that happen in life that are just part of life. But he uses those things to try to get you bitter and angry at God. Just like God doesn't send things, but he can use things. There's a lot of things the enemy didn't send either. We blame everything on the devil. But some of it's just life. And the devil goes, yeah, blame it on me. But I'm going to use it to get you to walk away from church, to get you to walk away from your family, to get you to walk away from God, to get you to stop reading your Bible, stop praying, stop trusting, stop believing. The enemy has a strategy just like God has a strategy. Every time you walk through something painful, every time there's a weird piece of the puzzle that doesn't make sense, you got one voice saying, trust me in this. I didn't send it, but I can use it for your testimony. And you got another voice on the shoulder saying, don't trust God. He's the reason that that happened. Blame it on him. Blame it on the church. Blame it on theology. Blame it on the Bible. Blame it on what God. And so the enemy tries to get you discouraged. And here Peter is, he's caught in prison and he's surrounded by 16 soldiers and they're holding him back from where he's supposed to be. I just see, I see this vision of certain men and women that are in a place where you're in a holding place. 
And it's like the enemy is trying to hold you back from where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing, who you're called to be, who you're supposed to be discipling, who you're supposed to be raising. And you may not be held back physically, but you're held back mentally. You're in a holding place of depression, a holding place of disappointment. And it says that Peter fell asleep while he was in prison. While the church was praying, Peter fell asleep. I want to just tell somebody who's watching online, the church is praying for you. The church is praying for your son. While he's sleeping, the church is praying. The church is praying for your ex. The church is praying for your husband. The church is praying for your wife. The church is praying for your mom. The church is praying for your dad with dementia. The church is praying for, for your kids right now that are grappling with the divorce, trying to understand what's going on, trying to make sense of all the pieces. The church is praying. This is a praying church. We have an ER prayer team. We have a SWAT prayer team. That anytime someone's going through a crisis our church is on their knees praying aren't you thankful for a praying church a church that never stops praying we have people that are in that prayer room all week long praying for you praying for you and Peter's in prison not because of what he did but because of what others did sometimes you go through things that, that aren't even your faults other people and he falls asleep in his pain. I remember talking to someone in our church who has a company that helps people sleep. And he said, you know, there's stages of sleep. You don't fall into a deep sleep right off the bat. You fall asleep in stages. And your initial place of falling asleep, it, it gradually gets deeper over time. If you sleep long enough and, and you allow yourself to go even deeper, you can go into greater levels of sleep. Levels where you don't even know what's going on. And uh, I imagine that Peter was gradually falling asleep. It happens in stages. And while he's asleep, and I don't know who's asleep right now in their disappointment, asleep in their failure, asleep in their shame, asleep in their, in their anger at God, asleep in an, addic an addiction that you used to fight against, but now you've just given full, you've given over it, to it completely, and, and you're just sleeping through some of the best years of your life sleeping to the things that God's trying to make you aware of that are happening all around you, sleeping to the opportunities, asleep to the joy you used to have, asleep to the healing that God wants to bring, asleep to the breakthrough God wants to bring. Suddenly in verse seven, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. Turn to someone next to you and say, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up to the purpose God has for your life. Wake up to the plans God has for your life. Wake up to the joy that God wants you to walk in. Wake up to the, to the opportunities that God is bringing before you. Wake up to the open doors. I know you got some closed doors behind you, but wake up to the open door. God's not finished with you yet. Your best days are still in front of you. Wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up. The enemy is trying to steal a nation. Wake up. Wake up all around us no matter what channel you turn it to it's on Nickelodeon it's on Disney Plus it's on Netflix it's on Prime the enemy has an agenda to take a generation wake up wake up wake up wake up dad wake up mom wake up wake up husband wake up wife pray pray get up out of your depression get up out of your ignorance get up get up wake up I can just hear the angel saying, Peter, this is not where you're supposed to stay. This is not how your story ends. I know you lost a good friend. I know he left. I know it wasn't your fault. 
I know you lost some people along the way. And I know you've, you've walked through pain, you've walked through rejection, and you've got abandonment issues, and you've got attachment issues, and, and you're dealing with all these feelings of why isn't Jesus here, and what is Jesus doing, and why is he doing it this way? But remember what he said in John 13, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but eventually, later on, it will all make sense, Peter. Eventually, this piece is going to fit into the big picture. God sees a thousand things you don't see. Don't think that he's not working even when you can't hear it, Paul. Even when you can't see it, Peter. Even while you're sleeping, God is preparing a comeback story for you. And the angel spoke, and yet only Peter heard him. No one else heard the angel. No one else had the ears to hear what God was saying. God has things that are only for you. Things that only you can hear. Think assignments that are just for you and nobody else. And so God says, Peter, this one's for you. Get up. And as he got up, chains fell off. And I believe chains are falling off today in church. I believe chains are falling off men and women, sons and daughters. I believe chains are falling off on Father's Day next weekend. I believe chains are falling off families, generational curses. As you get up, listen, hell gets scared when the man gets up out of bed. Hell gets scared when the mama gets up and she starts praying for her kids. It's time to make hell run. It's time to storm the gates of hell and take back a generation by faith and prayer. Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And the angel tells Peter, put on your clothes. Put on your clothes of righteousness. You are not what you've done, Peter. And you are not what's been done to you. Put on the clothes of righteousness. Put on your sandals of peace. I know you feel chaos all around you. You feel chains all around you. You feel a dungeon all around you. But you're coming out of this dungeon. You're coming out of this depression. Wrap your cloak around you. Follow me. The third thing that God does in our process is he prepares our character. He's more concerned with who you're becoming than how soon you get there. He prepares your character in the process. Romans 5 verse 3 says, these, these trials we go through, these painful things we go through, he uses it to produce perseverance. And that perseverance produces character. And that character produces hope. See, what God's doing through your process, through your divorce, through your pain, through your trial, through the abuse, through the rejection, through the hurts, through the wounds, through the seasons of loneliness, he sees every tear you cry. He hears every prayer you pray. He's with you when everyone else leaves you. He's there even when father and mother forsake you. He's with David in the caves. He's with Moses even after Moses murdered someone and he thought he could never be used by God again. I'm so glad that God uses imperfect people. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies those who he calls. And he begins to produce character inside you. He says, you are not your past, but you're going to change before you step into your future. And so I'm going to sharpen areas in your life. I'm going to use some things to produce inside you integrity. I'm gonna teach you how to not talk about your boss in a bad way. I'm gonna teach you how to not join into gossip and slander. I'm gonna teach you how to not be jealous. I'm gonna teach you to do the right thing even when no one's watching. He prepares your character in the process of pain. You wouldn't have changed your character unless you walked through the pain because you thought you could get away with it when things were good. But when you go through things that are painful, you realize, Lord, I need you to sharpen every area in my life. Number four, he prepares our trust in the process. He teaches us how to trust in him. And trust leads to hope. 
He teaches us to trust him even when we can't see it, that he's working, that where he guides, he provides. He says, Peter, follow me. As you follow me, do you trust me, Peter? As you follow me, just like you followed me out on the water. As you trust in me, I'm going to lead you into greater places. I'm going to teach you how to be who I've called you to be. I'm going to lead you out of this discouraging time. So watch what happens as Peter begins to follow the angel. He doesn't even realize it. He's just like you fall asleep in stages, you wake up in stages. You know, like when you wake up out of bed and you're not fully awake, you hear the alarm, but you hit the snooze and you kind of, you have like one eye cracked and you see a little bit of light. Some of y'all are there right now in church. Wake up. (laughs) I don't know what level of woke you are right now, but you just need to wake up a little bit more. By the way, can we redeem the word woke for a second? God's the one that made that word, and so no camp owns the word woke. What it means to be woke is to be fully awakened and alive and aware of what's happening around you. It's time the church get woke up to the purpose and the plans and the will and the word of God in a world that is totally asleep. He's looking for the church to wake up. And the church wakes up in stages. And I think we're in stage two or three right now. But I believe there's a higher level God's calling us to. I mean, we watched it through the pandemic as the world just fell asleep in fear. The world fell asleep, but victory was waking up. Victory was out on the roof. We were out in the parking lot. And I think we've we've been awakened to some greater things. We're seeing the agendas. We're seeing the strategies. We're watching as, as the enemy's plans are being foiled. We're watching as what they thought they could get away with, it's coming back on their heads. But now the church has a calling and a purpose, and there's people we're called to reach in our city, and there's a generation we've got to reach in the high schools across our state, and, there, and there's people we've got to reach that are in darkness and depression. And if you don't get free, how are you going to get other people free? So God says, i got to free the church before the church can free the city. And I've got to wake the church up before the church can wake the city up. And so he's waking you up in stages. And he's saying there's greater things for you. There's greater purpose for you. Peter, it's time to get up. And they pass the first and the second guards. They're coming out of the the prison. They're coming out of the restrictions. And as they walked towards the iron gate, it opened up for them. And when they walked through the open door, Peter came to his senses. And he realized he was fully awake now. He realized some of you are becoming fully awake. Would you stand your feet all over this room? When Peter became fully awake, he realized God had just delivered him from what the enemy had planned. You know, I look at, I look at Ashley as she's getting closer to delivering our baby and there's a glow, there's this expectancy, this baby is coming. And I feel like the Lord is is stirring up almost just a spiritual pregnancy on many of you in the room. There's a glow and God's saying, I've got greater things for you coming out of this season. I'm going to bring some greater things. There's a future that I have for you. But you've got to stir up your hope. And you've got to embrace the process and not run from the pain, but allow God to work through even the things that he didn't send, he's going to use. I just hear the Lord saying, I'm going to use that piece too. I'm going to use that painful thing you walked through. I'm going to use, see, nothing happens to us. Everything happens for us. When you know you're called, you start looking at everything through the lens of calling. Because I'm called, he's going to use the hurt. He's going to use the heartbreak. He's going to use the the closed doors. He's going to use the open doors. He's going to use, he's going to use every part of the process to create in me a heart that is set apart for him. I just want to pray for those in the room. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, and maybe you're watching online, I want to pray for you too. But 
you're here today, and you're in the process, and you've been tempted to get bitter. You've been tempted to throw in the towel. You've been tempted to walk away from faith, and maybe you've become even a little cynical of Scripture, the Word of God. Maybe the enemy's just been tempting you with discouragement of how long it's taking and trying to get you to think that God's being slow on His promises, that God's forgotten about fulfilling those dreams in your heart. You're watching your friends see breakthrough and you're still waiting on yours and there's things that you're, you're believing for and you just haven't seen it yet and God's saying, trust me, trust me. It's a piece of the process. It's a piece of the process. I was, I was delivering you from that thing. There's a reason why that door slammed in your face. If it didn't slam in your face, it was gonna destroy you later on if you walked through it. It was gonna mess up your whole destiny if you walked through that. God says, trust me in the closed doors, even in the open doors. Just like you, you, you get excited about open doors, trust me in those closed doors. I've got something great for you. All over this room with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you just need strength in the process, you just need grace in this process, I want you to just raise your hand. Just, you're just saying, pray for me. I feel like, I, yeah, hands going up all over this room. You're saying, I just need to let God work in me in this season. I, I need to get back to that place of trust. I need to get back into that place of peace. I need to embrace what God is doing. It's not easy, but I'm choosing not to get weary in well-doing. All over this room, if you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand, I'm gonna ask you to leave your seat. Come and meet me at this altar. If you're watching online, you can click that hand raise. And as you come to this altar, I want us just to take a few minutes just to worship, just to say, God, even when I don't see it, I believe that you're working. You never stop working. Yeah, all over this room. If you want to come down to the altar today, you're saying, man, I just need to, I need God's strength. I need prayer today. I need help today. I'm believing for a healing. Maybe your body's in a, in a, in a place right now. Your mind is in a place right now where you say, I just need healing. I need to go by faith and believe for healing. I'm preaching by faith that my healing is coming. Come and join me at the altar today. You're saying, Lord, I choose to trust in you. I choose to lean not to my own understanding. I choose to believe that you're going to work things together for good, that you're gonna use every piece for my good, for your purpose in my life. Maybe you're here right now and you say, I need to get right with God. I need to surrender to Jesus. You too, come and join us right now at this altar. This is your day of salvation. This is your day of forgiveness. It's your day of fresh mercy. Let's just begin to worship God. Let's begin to sing this to the Lord. Good. He's working all things together. He's 
I remember sitting down with a few, few of the heroes that I looked up to as a kid and teenager and in college. My dad somehow had relationships with some of these different people that I really looked up to. Almost every single one of them that I sat down with and I asked them, how did you, how did you get started in your calling and how did you get to the level that you are today making such a great impact? I remember sitting down with Oral Roberts. I remember sitting down for the first time with Bishop T.D. Jakes and every single one of them said, I went through something painful. Oral said, I watched as painful things happened in my family. He said, I got sick to the point of death and it woke me up. My pain woke me up. My, my pain, it caused me to get on my knees and cry out to God that if he just saves my life, I'll give him everything. Bishop Jake said, I walked through such poverty in my family. I watched so many painful things happen as a kid to certain friends and cousins and family members. And I realized all of the people that God used to do something great, they had to walk through something that was painful. And it, and it dawned on me, the pain that I've walked through has been a piece of the process to produce in me who he's called me to be, what he's called me to do. We look at people and we go, man, I wish I could do what they do, but there's pain that you gotta walk through to, to do that. Which, if you've ever walked through something painful, good news, God's gonna use it to do something great in you, through you, for you, for his glory. So don't be discouraged. And if you haven't walked through something painful, Here's the truth. You're going to walk through things that aren't easy at some point in your life. May not happen in your 20s, may not happen in your teenage years, might happen in your 40s, 50s, 60s. And you might say, I rebuke you, Pastor, in Jesus' name. I'm going to find me a church that only preaches positivity and that only positive things happen. The reality is even the negative things that happen are for your good. Even the things that aren't easy are making you a greater believer and follower of Jesus. Your faith gets stronger. And listen, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The enemy loses no matter what. We got the victory. Our best days are always right in front of us. God is not finished with you yet. So I want to just invite us to pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, thank you that you're going to use every part of my life, every piece of my story, the good, the bad, the ugly, for your glory, you turn all things into good because I'm called according to your purpose. So I trust in you. I surrender to you. I put my faith in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. Your blood is stronger than my sin, stronger than any attack that the enemy brings against me. So I've got the victory. Resurrection power is inside of me because you live in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. You got the victory.